Well, it is so good to be back in the United States of America. And if you don't know why, I'll tell you about that in a second, um, why I say that. Uh, For those of you that are new with us, my name is Casey. I'm so grateful that we get to share this time together with you. And I just want to remind you that we have a gift for you at the end of today's service. We'd love to give you a gift for being with us. In the back of the room, there's a welcome table. A host will be there. They'd love to give you a gift for being with us. So if you'll just go back there uh, before you leave and do that. Also, if you're watching online, we're so grateful to be gathered with you and wherever you are. And if you're new with us online, we have a gift for you. They're posting a Connect card right now that uh, you could fill out, and we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, um, let's let everyone that's online with us and everyone that's new in the room with us, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that with me? Yeah. Now, today we begin a brand new series called Entitled To. We're going to jump into that here in a second. In fact, uh, go ahead and get out your notes so you can just get ready. And if you want to open your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in uh, chapters 14 or 15. I can't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head right now. Uh, we're going to be there. And, um, and then so go ahead and just get there. But I want to share with you a little bit about um, why I was in South Africa and how your generosity is working. And we, I was so privileged to, to leave there, it, go there, and uh, see what God has been doing. In 2018, uh, we began uh, financially supporting a church planter's schooling that was equipping about 20 church planters at a time. It was a cohort. And uh, we uh, were supporting that and financially, and we believe because we believe in the local church, and we believe in empowering church planners and to go into these villages. And they were going to the Eastern Cape, and they began doing this in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, which is the poorest province of South Africa. And um, I got to be this past week at the graduation of our fourth round of this. Isn't that awesome? We've done, like, this is amazing. And here's a picture of the, the men and the women who are part of this. Uh, we call it Adopt-A-Village. It's a church planning effort that equips these church planners to go into a village, an, an area. There could be anywhere from 3,000 to 15,000 people in these villages that are set apart from one, many of the, the amenities of this. And so um, we were able to go into this. They came to this one area. We helped pay for these church planners to come to this um, training. That's what your giving goes toward. And, uh, and then, um, and so we were at the celebration. We, I got to see all of what God has been doing over four years. We got to see uh, church plants that have been established and working this Adoptive Village program for two or three years. And it's been mind-blowing. And in this, they're trained to do three specific things. First, they're trained to start discovery Bible studies. Uh, It's like a small group where they, they teach people to read the Bible, to listen for God's voice, and to apply it. I don't know about you, but that sounds like discipleship to me. And so they're doing this, and they have right now, as we speak, over 500 DBS groups happening in homes all across the Eastern Cape. That impacts thousands of people. When three to ten people in each of these Discovery Bible studies, and they're trained to do that, to equip that, and they're trained to equip them to multiply this and do this. Also, another part of the columns of one of the foundations of what we teach them is community development. We don't just want them to go in there and, and, and meet the spiritual needs. We want them to meet some of the physical needs that they see. And so they listen to their community, and we're teaching them how to do gardens because food is a crisis there. They're teaching them 
how to create gardens. This is the garden of one of the churches I got to visit that you see there. They're growing a spinach um, right there. And, and they also grow cabbage. And they teach the, their people how to do this with their DBSs. They can use their little gardens. And they have teach schools how to do this. I got to visit a school that they went in and planted a garden in the school. They teach the kids how to do the garden so they can have food to take home to their family. And so community development is part of that. Also, they, for a lot of the kids there, they don't have access to public sports. And so they create these opportunities. And they're using a plastic ball right here. And I got to meet one of the, the pastors who's trained up a, a person in his church to be all over the community development. He's got a sports love, and they're playing football, uh, the true football, they tell me. And, um, and so in that, and you believe that too, those of you that clap. And so in that, they're playing football, and we got to do that. Also, uh, so that their community development. And the third thing they train them is the, to care for the orphaned and the vulnerable children. It was powerful. It was powerful. Uh, many of you don't know that I lived in South Africa from 2012 to 2015. And uh, actually, next month will be a 10-year anniversary from when my family and I moved there. And, and one of the things that was remarkable is how overwhelming it was that kids were either orphaned or practically orphaned. What do I mean by practically? Mom and dad's drunk half the time. They don't get any care. They're, they, they have a, they're under the caregiver. Their main caregiver in their home is like their 12-year-old brother or sister. That's a responsible one in their home. And because of your generosity, we're able to train these pastors and expand the kingdom of God, and they're able to care for these orphan and vulnerable kids. And we're equipping them to do that. It is amazing. And I want to thank you for your generosity because what you're doing is you are equipping South African pastors to expand the kingdom of God that doesn't just meet their physical needs, but addresses the, most, the, the need that every one of us has. We're all orphans from God, spiritually orphaned. And they're taking the gospel of Jesus in areas that you and I will never be able to go. Well, one day, hopefully, we'll be able to take a team down there in the, in the next few months. So I want to thank you for your generosity. Continue to give and uh, continue to do it sacrificially, and graciously, and we'll continue to steward those monies for the kingdom. Now, it's no, I think it's ironic, and it, it's no irony on God's end. It's actually coincidental on my part, because I'm not this smart. Um, the series that we're about ready to start today, Entitled to, was something that actually was birthed in me, that God did a work in me when I was living in South Africa. He go, Entitled to, that's not a word, Casey. You're right, it's not a word. I made up the word. Actually, the word found me because and, and, and of the work that God did in, in, in my heart and um, in South Africa. Because living in South Africa for me and my family, it was hard. It was hard on me. Uh, when I was living there, um, I was an American, as you know. Um, and, you know, in America, we don't realize all the comforts that we have. Until you move to uh, South Africa, and, and while this is a third world country, it is like the nicest of third world countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And when I got there, all these ways that I've got used to living were ripped away. And it was hard. It was difficult. And I saw people all around me. It wasn't difficult on them, but it was difficult on me. And I thought, you know, as Americans, we have this, you know, Messiah complex. We can go over anywhere and fix something. So I thought I was going over there on God's mission to fix something. Man, I, you, there's better ways to do this. And, and it actually, really what it was, I want you to make it more comfortable on me. I mean, things like Internet. Like, it was so frustrating. I, I just want to get my email, you know. Um, but 
I was seeing something in all the people there, and then God just kind of sat me down in my place and began to make me look at my own heart. And this series actually started way back then in my own life. And I've taught on this word entitled to it. It's not a new word for some of you that have been with us. I think I taught on this in 2017, but I just did a teaching on this. And I felt God was leading us to do a whole series on this this year. And I didn't realize it was coming right at the tails of my own trip because I didn't put this trip together until later in September that I was invited to come in this. And so we are going to talk about entitled to And it might be a new word to you, and it is a new word to you because I made it up. It's not in the dictionary. I want to teach you what it is. And, 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 and in this, this is what entitled to is. It's the attitude of entitlement. It's an attitude of entitlement. Now, you have your own definition of entitlement. I have my own definition of entitlement. The dictionary has its definition of entitlement. And you think you know what entitlement is because you will put labels on everybody else and you go, man, they're entitled. We'll put labels. Maybe you're of an older generation. You put a label on the younger generation. And you say, man, they are entitled. Maybe you're in the younger generation. You put a label on the older generation. And you say, man, they are entitled. And whenever you put a label on somebody to define, and, and, and when you call someone entitled, you have a working definition of entitlement. The problem is, is we always see entitlement in everybody else, but we're blinded. We're blinded by when it's in us. And we can easily label other people's, other people, but we'll avoid recognizing it in us. And so here's the reality. You must recognize and correct the entitled in you before you can help lead others out of this erosive destruction and this mentality that is that will erode our mentality and our mindset. See, it has it has an ugly grasp on people, and it has an ugly grasp on people. And the people that ignore it in their own life, it can destroy you. Let me tell you something. I've seen entitled destroy marriages. It has its ugly grip on marriages, and it's destroyed many marriages. Entitled will turn a husband and a wife into enemies. Entitled destroys friendships. It'll make the best of friends seem like they were just distant cousins. Entitled will destroy not just friendships and marriages. It'll destroy organizations. It can, it can wrap its mind, it'll be like a little virus inside an organization and eliminate the potential that can come in a, in a body of people that can be unified. It'll do this. It'll destroy. And it has destroyed if you just recognize any church history. I'm not history, church history, just national history. It, it has destroyed nations. It's destroyed nations. And it's destroyed the witness of the church. Entitled when we don't recognize it, it erodes. It's a slow erosion. It's like a virus that goes fast, but we never realize it. It's like being the frog in the kettle. It slowly cooks us until it destroys the relationships around us. And in order to understand what entitlement is and this attitude of entitlement, we got to define what entitlement is. And we got to come to a working understanding of this. And, and, and the working definition that I want to give you is not in the dictionary. It's not in anything. It's actually something I created. So if you don't like it, you can just blame me and I'll accept all responsibility of it. Okay? But here's what I've learned to see. And, and the reason I know it is because I had to see it in me. I recognized it in me. And this is what entitlement is. is entitlement is when the privilege becomes the expectation. That's what entitlement is. 
I mean, isn't that what it is? I mean, think about it. It's when the privileges that you knew was once a privilege, that you knew someone else saw as once a privilege, it became an expectation. I mean, think about it. I mean, that's exactly what entitlement is. I mean, don't you get frustrated with others because once what was a privilege to them now becomes an expectation of them, and then all of a sudden, oh, entitled. For those of us who are married, do you remember when it was a privilege to be married? <laughs> remember when it was a privilege to, and everything was so new and it was a privilege? But what happens when those privileges turn into expectations and attitude forms? And that attitude turns people who were once toward each other against each other. So when a privilege becomes an expectation, when it, 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 you know, it was a privilege for me to have my wife cook for me. Because it took this single guy that, no lie, lived on peanut butter jelly sandwiches and frozen burritos that I called gourmet because I put a slice of cheese on it and put spicy mustard on it. <laughs> and when we got married, my wife's cooking to this day is one of the most incredible things. But you know what? There was a moment that, you know, I'd come and, wait, what are we going to do for dinner? I don't know. Don't know what you're going to do for dinner? Privilege became an expectation. You know, we see it with our kids all the time. Privileges, man, you don't know how privileged you are, but they can become expectations. When, when the privilege of being able to have someone help you do the laundry becomes the expectation that they should do the laundry. When the privilege of being able to spend extra money on something becomes the expectation that the money should always be there to spend on what you want. See, when privileges of friendships become expectations, it can destroy friendships. When the privilege of having a friend do something for you turns into the expectation that they should always do it for you. You're dealing with entitlement. When privileges of working for that company has taken root and it's done its evil metamorphosis that entitlement does in our attitudes, and now it becomes an expectation. Oh, I should. When that privilege to work for a company that had the benefits, and now they're talking about taking away one of those benefits, and it just rears its ugly head. How dare they do that to me? You might be dealing with entitlement. I should have my choice of days off. How dare they do that to me? I've earned this. See, when privileges of living in a nation, and this became so real for me when I lived in South Africa, it blew my mind. And, and man, I think one of the things that could cure anybody of entitlement is take you to a nation where we don't have the privileges like we have in America. In America, Americans, those of us who are United States citizens, we live and work in this country so freely without corruption, and you can benefit from the work that you, oh my goodness, this is a privilege. And, and entitled to can, can be rampant in, an, in a nation and with freedoms, and these freedoms become expectations, and, and it, it, our advantages over other nations become expectations. Did you know at one time in America, healthcare was not a human right? It was a privilege. Did you realize that one time that to, to, to be in America and have a free education and have an education was a privilege? And in America, what have we turned these things into? Expectations. And I'm not to say that, that America's on its downward trail. I'm just saying I want to I help us see entitlement. I just want to help us see, and I want to help us see what entitlement leads to and where it goes. And, and how entitlement is just as much rampant in the church. As it is anywhere, when the privilege of being in a community of believers who care for you 
becomes a set of expectations that now they should do things for you. Maybe entitled to creeps his way in. See, entitled to, that's what it does. It creeps its way in to our attitudes. And I call this the entitled to creep. It slowly merges into our attitudes and our thoughts. And when entitled to creeps in, you and I begin to take advantage of our privileges. So here's some ways to identify entitled to. Really quickly, here's the first one. It's how it creeps into our languages. In our language. When would becomes replaced with should. You know, there was one time when it was amazing that your spouse would do this for you. And then over time, your spouse should do this for you. When your parents used to, man, you realize, man, your parents would do this for you. Now you think they should do this for you. It's the language when something is assumed to be owed you. And now someone is owed. It's when entitled to, that's when entitled to has already gripped its victim and it's expressed in this. This is the symptom that you're dealing with entitled to. When someone used, what someone would used to do for you now becomes they should do this for you. You're now owed that privilege. My company owes it to me. How dare they do that? To me. My spouse now owes it to me. They should have. My parents owe it to me. They should. So would is replaced with should. Second thing is, and this is a hard one to recognize, but it's really something I've learned that it's true. It's when responsibility is denied. In his book, The Entitlement Cure, Dr. Townsend talks about this. And, and he talks about how this is the idea when someone is entitled believes that responsibility isn't on them. It's all the other person's fault. That when, when soon as we begin, begin to put, cast blame in like a relationship and we don't take any responsibility, re- reality is, is you're dealing with this attitude of entitlement. And, and that you feel like you're entitled to something. It's her fault I reacted that way. Well, maybe that, that's actually a symptom that you might be dealing, that you are dealing with entitled to. It's, 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 it's not my fault. It, see, if, if, if it wouldn't have happened to me, I wouldn't have done this. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And we're so good at casting the blame. And when we begin to cast the blame and ignore our responsibility, entitled to it has already creeped in. Someone who cannot take responsibility for their own shortcomings is dealing with entitled to it. And the third symptom that it's already creeped into your life is when someone believes that they are above the rules. <laughs> because of your position, do you know who I am? Do you know all that I've done? Because of my accolades, you know all I've done. And then all of a sudden, because of who you are and what you've done, you think that those rules don't apply to you. That you think that you're above them. Well, that's a symptom of entitled to. When someone thinks they can break the rules because of who they are or what they've done, they expect to have a little more freedom because of this, a little more privilege because of this. Now, it all can be kind of summed up in the mission statement of entitled, uh, entitled person. See, the mission statement of someone uh, who's entitled is this. I deserve. I deserve. I deserve to have this. I deserve to be invited to that. I mean, if anybody should have been invited to that, it should have been me. I deserve that. Do they not know how hard I worked? I deserve to be able to have that opportunity. I deserve that promotion over that person over there. I deserve 
to go there. Or it may be expressed instead of I deserve, you might say, no, they owe it to me or you owe me. My company owes me. They're, you know, they're, they're, because they owe me, it, they've always done this, therefore they owe it to keep it that way. Every other spouse does it. I see it doing it all the way around. And, and so you owe it to me because everybody else is doing that. See, we've seen this in other people, and, and you might be able to see it in other people, but the question I want to ask you today, can you see it in you? Because it's easy to see this in other people. In fact, every one of those examples, you can, you can probably name two or three people right now off the top of your head of who you would say, man, they are dealing with entitlement. The question I want you to wrestle with is do you see this in you? Do you see this in you? You may want to fix someone else, but you cannot fix someone else and ignore what's going on inside of you. See, at its core, entitlement is a rejection of reality. Therefore, it is a rejection of truth. And we just talked about truth. We just talked about how truth is reality. See, to reject reality is to reject truth. And here's the reality that we all reject when entitled to creeps in. Is the reality is this. Everything you are and everything you have, it comes from God and it belongs to him. You and I deserve and are owed nothing. Everything we are and everything we have is a generous gift from our heavenly Father in heaven. And it comes from him and it belongs to him. And if that's the truth, then to have the attitude that I deserve something or I am owed something is a rejection that all that I am and all that I have comes from God. It's to ignore all of that, turn my back on that. See, my attitude or my way of thinking is what leads to my behavior. And all of that is, it it, it leads to, and, and when that grips into these attitudes that those privileges that I desire, those privileges that I think I deserve, because I think they belong to me. And really, when someone says that, sometimes we're saying, God, you owe me. See, if my talents came from God and and belong to him, what do I really deserve? I haven't earned my innate abilities. And so, so if I feel like I deserve something, it's almost like saying, God, you owe me. If if everything I have and everything I I, I come from God, but, but Casey, wait, wait. I work so hard. I work harder than other people. And and, and in my company, they don't recognize my hard work. Do you not recognize that all your strength doesn't come from you? Your ability to outwork other people, it comes from God. It comes directly from him. Now, gratefully, we're not the only ones who have dealt with entitled to. This has been all throughout humanity. It's a human dysfunction because of sin, and it's been around since Adam and Eve thought that they deserved to be like God. And in the Bible, we have all the scripture that points to this. And we have a great narrative that, that, story, that we see throughout it. And we're going to look at the nation of Israel today, uh, how God just, and here's where we're going to come into. God just delivered the nation of Israel from 400 years of slavery. you got to understand this. God miraculously overthrew the powerful Egyptian force and brought this large population of Israel through this Red Sea. And they, God just delivered them miraculously. 
What was a barrier in the Red Sea, a barrier to their freedom, became a defense now against their enemies. And now this elite Egyptian army was in pursuit of them. Pharaoh was mad at them, and they were chasing, out of the, uh, chasing after them. And God then leads them into this desert. And with the elite Egyptian army defeated behind them, we read this account in Exodus, and we also read it in Numbers. But here in Exodus 15, we read that then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Ashur for three days. Look at this, three days, three days. They traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water, so they find water. And now the water's bitter. That's why the author says the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Through 10 incredible, I mean, look at this, 10 incredible supernatural acts, God just saved a million plus Israelites from their oppression in Egypt. 400 years of this. It only took three days, three days for it to to eliminate the amazing salvation God had just led them through. Three days of things not going the way they wanted it to go. Three days of not having water. And, and it, it overshadowed this amazing deliverance that just happened. It only took three days for them to start complaining. And I love that word grumbled. It's a fun word. It's onomatopoeia, which means exactly what it sounds like. I mean, the word is exactly what it sounds like. It's kind of like sizzle. You know, that's a fun word to say, sizzle, because it sizzles when it's on the grill, right? It sizzles. Another one is cuckoo. That one's just fun to say, period. <laughs> but this word grumble is grumbled. It grumbled. <laughs> they, they grumbled, this water's not like it was back then. It's not Perrier. <laughs> they grumbled. But I know we don't do that. We're kind of above that, aren't we? I mean, we, 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 we don't complain soon after we get that new job. We don't complain soon after we get that new vehicle or that new house or that new blessing. See, here's the reality. When privileges become expectations, what once was a blessing to you can turn into a burden that you can complain about. When you allow that privilege to turn into an expectation, the blessings become burdens. Notice how quickly they began to complain. And, God, and, and when they began to complain, God is like they were blinded by God's deliverance and his power. It, uh, it, it caused them to overlook the miraculous thing they actually had, their salvation. Israel's entitlement became viral. And what happens next? Let me just summarize real quick. Moses prays. Well, actually, he cries out, we read. <laughs> He's so desperate. And the Lord shows him a piece of wood because the, wood is, the water's bitter. And he throws the wa- wood into the water. The water becomes pure, becomes fit to drink. God pretty much heals the water. And God tells the Israelites, I want you to listen to me. This is what God tells Moses to tell them. I want you to listen to me, pay attention to me, and obey me because God alone is who is your salvation. God alone is the one who can heal you and give life to you. Then God leads them to an oasis of water. God had just saved them from Egypt. They complain about water. God leads them to the water, and now they experience an oasis of water. And 21 days later, they are led out of this oasis, and they continue to follow God. But because entitled is like a cancer, another symptom of entitled 
emerges. In chapter 1 of verse 16, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month of after they'd come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only, if only we had died, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. See, not only were they complaining, you know what they started doing now? Comparing. You know, what we had back then is so much better than what we have now. I mean, this what we had then. I mean, this is, Israel compared what they now had with what they once had. We used to have pots of meat, they say. We used to have pots of meat. All the food we wanted. And they forgot that they were, they were slaves under, under the harsh Egyptians who would literally work them to death because Pharaoh and his council were in fear of how populous this nation was becoming. And they knew that if they just turned on Egypt, they would overpower them. And so they drastically, they forgot the oppression and the pain they were under. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to go and prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Because there's this thread through scripture. Everything you are and everything you have, it comes from God. You will know who, the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we? And this is Moses and Aaron speaking. Who are we that, we sh- that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will, also, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? And this is almost indicting. This is not a a good thing. You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling." So God hearing your grumbling can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Here, this is not a good thing. This is actually a bad thing. See, it's a good thing when we, to complain to God. It, there's a good th- way to complain to God, by the way. And when you complain to God and you come to God and you, co- you complain about your pain, you complain and, and, and you complain and you turn to him for his help. See, you can come to God and complain about what you don't have. And you can complain knowing that everything comes from him. And when you turn that complaint and you say, God, I trust you, that's a good way to complain. But they, they did the bad complaining. See, when we complain uh, to God about something and grumble as if we deserve him to act on our behalf, as if we deserve something, that's when complaining is a bad thing. 
So God then appears in a cloud while Aaron was speaking to the Israelites. And God says to Moses that he has heard their complaints and they're grumbling. And when the sun sets, they're going to have enough meat. And when the sun rises, they're going to have enough bread. In the middle of the desert, they're going to have enough. So all they, they know all they are and all they have, it comes from God in this amazing miracle. The evening quail came and the morning bread came. They called it manna. And the Israelites did as they were told. Miraculously, those who gra- gathered uh, much ha- did, didn't have too much. And those who gathered too little didn't have too little. They had exactly what they needed. They gathered what they needed. They didn't gather compared to what other people needed. They gathered what they needed. And they took only what they needed for themselves. And Israel was going to learn this lesson that is all throughout Scripture, one that you and I need to learn, that everything we are and everything we have comes from God. This daily bread, this need, this daily bread was an act of trust that God would give them what they need tomorrow. But you know what distracts you from that act of trust? Comparing. See, when privileges become expectations, I compare. And when I compare, I ignore God's truth. I ignore that everything I have and everything I am comes from God. When I begin to compare, oh, God, man, why aren't my abilities as good as their abilities? Why are they so much more talented? No, 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 no. See, you've ignored something as soon as you begin to compare. Why, why, why does God take care of me like he takes care of them? I wish I could get that promotion. Why does God not do and, and I deserve this. I work so much harder than them. And we begin to compare. And as soon as you begin to compare, you begin to ignore that everything you are and everything you have comes from God. See, entitled to started with complaining and then emerges to comparing. And then Moses goes up to the mountain to hear from God, which is this Charleston Heston moment that some of you have no clue who that is. <laughs> Just look at the Ten Commandments. It's a movie, but it was in the Bible before it was a movie. <laughs> and when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. So God was speaking to Moses. This is where God would give him the Ten Commandments. They gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. 40 days. Come on, 40 days. You were 400 years in slavery. You couldn't wait three days without water. You couldn't go 21 days without God doing something else. And then now it's 40 days. He's on a mountain and you can't just trust him. What has he done for you? Have you forgotten your salvation? And here we see the third symptom of entitled to. While Moses is up there getting these instructions, they revolt and become impatient, and they wanted to control the outcome. See, when privileges become expectations, I become controlling by demanding my way and not trusting God's way. This is the symptom that entitled to is creeped in. You become controlling. Bottom line is they controlled their situation because they did not trust in God's control. Do you see that in you ever? That you try to control your situation, but ultimately it's because you don't trust in God's control. See, Israel abandoned God's way and demanded their own way. God then leads them to the edge of the land that he had promised Abraham. He takes them through this land and he's about to give it to them. The promise of what they were delivered from Egypt to enjoy and encounter 
and to live in the blessings and experience the joy of all of this. He leads them to this. But the people were filled with fear. The Israelites did not trust God. In fact, their complaining and their comparing and their controlling had eroded their opportunity to see the blessing right in front of them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or this wilderness. In verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly, gathered there Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephonah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. They saw it. But because entitled to crept in, the complaining, the comparing, and controlling were symptoms of this attitude against God not trusting in him. They couldn't see it. They pleaded, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing of milk and honey, and it will, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me? Treat me, treat God with contempt. How long will they refuse, and this is indicting, to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? How long will you refuse to believe in me in spite of all I've done for you? These words are haunting. See, complaining, comparing, and controlling and controlling are signs that I don't believe God. Now, look at this. I didn't say believe in God because there are many people that believe in him, but they don't believe him. And we are going to end this series. We're going to be a people who recognize what God has done for us. We're going to destroy an entitled because we don't want entitled to destroy the blessings and the opportunities that God wants for all of us because that's exactly what happened in the nation of Israel. That generation had to die and God would give the land the blessing to the next generation who didn't complain, didn't compare, and didn't try to control God. See, here's a serious big idea we're going to look at. When privileges become expectations, you and I won't experience the joy and blessings of life. When, when entitled to, when it becomes these expectations, when these privileges become the expectations, we won't in, in, enjoy the blessings and the joys. We'll, we won't experience the joy of life and salvation. We won't experience the blessings of this. See, to experience the joy and blessings of life, we must keep our privileges from becoming expectations, and we're going to learn how to do this together. The Apostle Paul would address a church in Philippi when he was imprisoned by Rome, and I want to finish with this real quickly today. He reminds them of who Jesus is, and he reminds them of the salvation Jesus came to bring, and he reminds them that God has now exalted Jesus over all things. He is over all things. He has a name that one day every knee and every will bow to and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God will be glorified in the whole universe. And then he says this. Therefore, my brother, dear brothers, as my, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So in other words, work out your salvation is not work for your salvation. It's work from your salvation. Just like the Israelites, they, they, they thought they, that God owed them, but they didn't realize what God had already done for them. Work out your salvation. Work from this place that you know who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you. See, it is God who works in you. Everything you have and everything you are, it has come from God. And your salvation is not your own. It is a gift from God. No one can boast about it. Work that out. Live from that place. And so what's Paul say next? Do everything. Do everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And look at this, because this connects back to that people of Israel. This connects right back to that story. Children of God without fault in a crooked and warped generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly, hold firmly to this word, to the word of life, the truth. <laughs> See, as you hold firmly and you don't complain, church, we're gonna rise above. We're going to shine like stars in a culture that's shutting God out. We're going to look, and people are going to look to you and I to find and discover how can they experience the life that we experience. Don't let entitled to creep in and rob you of the joy and blessings of life. So I want to ask you this question, and it's a question that you're going to ask with your groups this week, or as you collect a group together, you're going to ask this question. What privileges have become an expectation in your life? Do you see them? That's all I want you to do. I just want you to begin to see them. There's a song that we used to sing, said, count your blessings, name them one by one. You maybe grew up in a, a church that sang hymns, and that was one of the songs we used to sing. I'm asking you to just name the expectations. Can you see them? Will you just begin to define them? Will you just begin to point them out? Just acknowledge them. I dare you to do this. Because recognizing your privileges builds your faith in God. And I want our faith to grow. Will you bow your head with me? Father, thank you so much for being faithful to your promise. Thank you so much for your saving work in all of us. Forgive us for letting the blessings that we have in life become burdens. And forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for comparing. Forgive us for controlling. God, may we begin to recognize and see it in us. And may we begin to see all the privileges and may we just begin to name it this week. And may that turn into building our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray.